Thank you, Sharon. Welcome to First Church, and welcome to those listening on the radio. Thank you for joining us. Today is a very special day honoring very, very special people. Happy Mother's Day. You are a great blessing to us all. I'd like to highlight some of the announcements that appear in today's bulletin. The nursery, kindergarten, and primary Sunday school classes, three-year-olds through kindergarten, will be having their annual open house today. Parents, grandparents, and friends are invited to attend. The consistory has called for a congregational meeting on Sunday, May 20th, immediately following the morning service. The purpose is to discuss the current condition of the heating system and approve the cost of having an engineering firm design a replacement heating system for the church building. Students helping with the Taco Bar Mission Trip Fundraiser, please make sure that you are at the church at 8.30 a.m. on Sunday, May 20th. And please contact Tori if you have any questions. For those who have signed up to help build and paint things for VBS this year, We'll be having a workday on Sunday, May 20th, starting at 1 p.m. We'll be working in the Ministry Center. Please let Tori know if you'd like to help. Concerning the Agape Service Project, on Thursday, May 24th, at 7 p.m., First Church will be packing summer food bags for Auglaize County children. We will meet at the Agape Client Services Building, which is directly west of the Agape Retail Store in St. Mary's. Last year we had 25 people participate and everyone had a wonderful time. There is a sign-up sheet on the front pew or you can call the office and let one of the uh, office staff members know you can help. And now all those who are comfortably able, please stand And join me in the call to worship. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Please remain standing as we sing hymn number 66, To God Be the Glory.
please take the time to greet your neighbors as the children come forward. Good morning. How are you all? Good. What are we celebrating today? Ooh, Mother's Day. Did you guys tell your mom Happy Mother's Day and that you love her this morning? You did that? Good. Well, I have some some stuff with me this morning that I think that mom might use, and she helps us live our lives, okay? And we have some gloves in here, and these are all different kinds of gloves. So what would we use this glove for? Dusting. Dusting. You know, hold that. What do we use these gloves for? Cooking. Who wants to hold those? Me. We got um, a winter glove. Who wants to hold this one? What's that feel like inside? Can you put your hand in there. What's that feel like inside? Put your hand inside the glove. Is it soft? Is it rough? What does it feel like? Soft? It's soft inside? What's this glove for? It's got bumps all over it. Gardening. Good job. Who wants to hold the gardening glove? What kind of glove is this? It's a rubber glove. Nurses use it. What else can you use a rubber glove for? Some people use it for cooking. Some people use them for cleaning. What else do you think you could use it for? Just about anything you want. Who wants to hold the rubber glove? What kind of glove is this? It's another rubber glove. What do you use this glove for? Gardening? I use this for cleaning. Sometimes. Who wants to hold this one? You guys want to hold it? You want to hold it? I got one more, and all my boys are going to fight over this one. Who wants to hold this glove? What is this? It's a baseball glove. Who plays baseball? All right. There we go. So how many people have gloves? Hold up your gloves. Are those like a wide variety of things? There's a lot of different things that your mom could use it for. We got cleaning. We got cooking. We got gardening. We got sports. All these different kinds of gloves. But everybody who has a glove, put it on your hand. Now, it's on your hand. What is it doing to your hand? So those who cook and you grab a hot pan, and you, what does it do? Does it protect your hand from getting burnt? Yeah? Or the baseball, what does your baseball one do? Yeah, it helps you catch the balls and helps if you hit a line drive and it's like right to your face, it helps you protect your face. And the gardening ones, it helps you from getting your hands all muddy, but it protects you. And your mom protects you, but your mom does a whole ton of different things too. 
So I just wanted to have all these different types of gloves out there so you guys can see all that mom does. So, all right, if you guys want, let's go ahead and pray, and then i got one more thing for you guys to do, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for our moms who work, play, clean, cook, and just simply love us with their hands. Show us how to honor our moms every single day. In your son's name we pray, amen. Can you guys that have gloves, put them back in my bag, please? I love that rubber glove. You love that rubber glove? Everybody got them? All right. Now I'm going to stand here. Now you guys all stand up for me. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful uh, that we have this opportunity to celebrate Mother's Day today. We pray that you would bless all the mothers who are here in this room and who are listening on the radio and all the mothers, Lord, that have had an impact on our lives. Uh, we're so grateful uh, that you've placed people in our, in our path, Lord. You've placed us in families where we can, we can get a glimpse of your love for us, and that's what mothers do. Uh, Lord, we also are aware that Mother's Day, uh, while joyous for many, can be a source of, of hurt and pain for others who have, who have tried and, and not been able to become a mother or have lost mothers recently or mothers who have lost children. And Lord, we are aware that, that this day can bring, bring pain and sorrow as well. And so we ask that your blessing would be on them too and that you would uh, provide for and comfort and care for those who are mourning on this day as well as those who are celebrating. And so, Lord, we thank you that that through, through our moms, Lord, you give us a, a glimpse of, of what your loving care looks like. And we pray that, that you would bless them and honor them this day. Lord, we also lift up other concerns that are before us. Lord, our ever-present concerns list is, is there, and we, we continue to pray for the names that are listed there. We pray that you would heal those who are in need of it, Lord. You'd provide in, in whatever way is needed. Uh, because, Lord, we trust that you know what's best for us. We trust that you're a caring and loving God who is able to provide. And so we entrust these names and, and, and the names that aren't listed there, Lord, those burdens, those things that are on our hearts that we carry in with us today. We, we tr- entrust those to you as well and pray that your will would be done. Lord, we, we know that you are a good and faithful God. And, Lord, that, that in all things you work out you work them out for the good of those who love you have been called according to your purpose. And so, so Lord, we pray that your good would be done. Um, Lord, we, we sometimes are short-sighted and we don't see the good uh, in, in every situation, but you do. And you're able to work that out uh, towards your, your glory and your will. And we pray that would be the case this day and every day. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Invite those who are helping with our offering to come forward at this time. Our collection today goes to support our elevator modernization project, and the choir will be blessing us with the song Higher Ground.
please remain standing for the scripture reading this morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Acts 14, verses 8 through 20. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. I will remain standing and sing the praise song, We Fall Down.
be seated. Lord, as we open your word together, I pray that you would give us insight into what you have in store for us today. I pray that you give me words to speak. You open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. I pray that we may decrease so that you may increase this morning. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Earlier this year, uh, Apple produced an iPhone commercial uh, highlighting their new and improved camera and, their, and the, the portraits that you can take with it. And as I saw this commercial, it, it made me laugh out loud. As, you, as you're seeing these pictures of these selfies flip through the screen of these anonymous random people, you hear the voice of none other than Muhammad Ali giving this speech from, uh, entitled, I Am the Greatest. Uh, from his 1963 comedy album, which, by the way, how did I not know Muhammad Ali had a comedy album in 1963? But the speech goes like this, or the excerpt that was used in the commercial. It says, I am the greatest. I'm going to become the champion of the universe. Me with my beautiful, colorful personality. I am good-looking, clean-living, cultured, and I am modest. I am so modest, I can admit my own fault. And my own fault is that I don't realize how great I am because I am great. I am the greatest. Knowing that it was Muhammad Ali, it makes a little bit more sense now. But it doesn't sound very humble, does it? Although he claims to be modest, his pride shines through every single word. And that's exactly the point that this iPhone commercial is trying to make. It appeals to our sense of pride. Whether or not you've ever taken a selfie is irrelevant. We are all self-centered, prideful people by nature. See, it's right there in the Garden of Eden. The very first sin was, was all about pride, if you really think about it. God instructs Adam and Eve to not eat from this one specific tree from the garden, and they take it upon themselves to decide what is right and what is wrong. They declared their independence from God by making that decision to choose for themselves. And we've all been suffering from that same sort of self-centered pride ever since. See, our commitment to Christ, however, means we must fight against this pride and these prideful tendencies that come along with it. And the antidote for pride 
is a good dose of humility. We must be willing to step out of the spotlight and focus our attention on God and on others. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. And in this passage we have today that Tracy just read for us, Paul demonstrates this kind of humility and what it looks like. It shows itself in three different ways. First, in his compassion towards this lame man. Second, in his willingness to redirect praise toward God. And third, in his need for Christian community. So let's take a look at this passage today. First thing we observe in this passage is Paul's encounter with this lame man. The text says that this man was born crippled. There are many people like this in the ancient world. It was actually quite common to see a lame or crippled person just laying along the, the busy roadways or even in the marketplace. This was their only hope that they had was to beg for, for food because they couldn't work, right? They couldn't make it on their own. And so they were dependent on the mercy and the generosity of others. But notice this phrase here. It says that, that as Paul was in the marketplace, he notices this man and, and it says he looks directly at him. I think that's an important phrase because, because this man wasn't just lost in the crowd to Paul. He wasn't just another beggar that blended in. He looked directly at him. He saw him. He noticed him. He saw the need that was there and how he was miraculously able to meet it. To many others, this man was invisible. He was a nobody. He just blended into the crowd. And he would have just been passed by without any further consideration. I remember one of the first times that I visited a big city. My family and I went to a baseball game in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, growing up in, in rural western New York, I wasn't exactly accustomed to the sights and sounds of, of downtown Pittsburgh. And I remember never, uh, I don't think I'd ever seen that many people all in one place at one time before in my entire life. And I remember as we were, as we were going into the stadium and then leaving the stadium after the game, one of the things that shocked me was just seeing how many what I presume were homeless people and, and people that were begging outside of the stadium as all these people were going in and out for the baseball game. Just more people than I, I would have ever thought possible, just, just there begging and looking for, for some spare change or something like that. And I was just as shocked to see how many people simply just passed them by and pretended like they didn't even exist. People who were in need, and, and, and it's like they weren't even there. They just blended into the background. Now, I'm not here to solve, you know, the problem of homelessness. I don't think I can do that today. I'm not even sure necessarily how, how to answer that question or how to respond in that situation when you come across someone in need like that. Do you just give them money, right? What if they use that money for drugs or alcohol instead of buying food? And does that even matter on our part? Do you give them something other than money, such as a gift or cards or food? Right? I don't necessarily know what their right answer is to those questions. But here's what I do know and what I want us to remember today is that you can't even begin to help someone. You can't even start to meet their need until you see them, until you're willing to look and notice them. It's only when that happens that you're able to make a difference in someone's life. Until you see them and acknowledge their need, it's nothing's going to happen. You have to help them. Yeah, excuse me, you have to see them for what they are, for a human being made in the image of God. 
But our pride gets in the way of that, doesn't it? It prevents us from seeing others and having compassion for them because our pride says that we are the center of the universe and everyone else has to revolve around us. Compassion is an important Christian virtue. Jay, just a few weeks ago, pointed out to me that that compassion literally means to suffer with another person. It is to sympathize with that person in need. It is to have compassion. To have compassion for someone is to come alongside that person, to understand their hurt, their pain, and what they're going through, and then try to do something about it to the best of your ability. But in order to do that, you know, you must step off your own pedestal, right, in order to see them for what they are. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 give us a glimpse of what this looks like. Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, the key here is to see people not as projects, not as something less than yourself, but to value them as greater, to see them as they really are, as as people made in the image of God who have real needs and real problems that we can do what we can to meet them. If we're just putting our own preferences, our own needs, and our own desires above everyone else, then we can never truly help them like God calls us to do. Instead of Philippians, it says that we shouldn't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, we should value others above ourselves. We should always be striving to humble ourselves so that we can lift others up and love them with the kind of love that God has shown to us through Christ. Can you imagine what kind of society we'd live in if every person took this passage to heart? Just think about what it would look like to live in a community, in a country, where everybody put their own desires, their own preferences to the side, and loved each other like this. Went out of their way to lift each other up and build each other up and meet other people's needs instead of just looking out for their own. That would be something, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. People loving their neighbor like themselves, just as God's word calls us to do. So the first, uh, under, the first way that we can be humble is to have compassion on others. The second thing we see here in this passage is that humility means pointing people to Jesus instead of hogging the spotlight for ourselves. Last week I mentioned that signs and wonders and miracles were not an end in themselves, but they were meant to point people to Jesus, to point people to the truth of the gospel. And when Paul heals this man in Lystra, something amazing happens. Right? The people notice, of course they do. But instead of praising God, they begin to they begin to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods themselves. According to legend, Zeus and Hermes once visited this area in disguise. They went door to door seeking shelter and asking, uh, asking for people's hospitality. But over and over again, according to legend, they were rejected. They went to hundreds of homes and were not able to find a place that, that would welcome them in until they finally came to the home of this elderly couple who welcomed them in and showed them kindness and compassion and after that happened, Zeus and Hermes supposedly revealed themselves as who, for who they really were, blessed the couple that, that showed them hospitality, but then destroyed all of the other hundreds of homes that didn't. 
And so with that in mind, it helps us understand why there's such a strong reaction to Paul and Barnabas in this passage. If they truly were these Greek gods in the flesh and the people didn't want to make the same mistake again. They were quick to welcome them and honor them with sacrifices. And so before Paul and Barnabas were even able to realize what was happening, the priests of Zeus bring bulls and wreaths out and they begin to prepare these sacrifices. But Paul and Barnabas were not Zeus and Hermes, obviously. Once they realized the mistake, they quickly put an end to it. Instead of accepting the worship and praise that was directed at them, they pointed people to God. That is another way for us to combat our pride. We take the spotlight off of ourselves and put it on the one who really deserves it. But it's natural for us to crave the spotlight, isn't it? It's natural for us to want that attention. We're more than happy to take credit when everything seems to be going well. And we Christians have a tendency to put people on a pedestal too. We love our celebrity pastors. right? Someone has a successful ministry and we force the spotlight on them. Their churches build ministries around their personality. We download their podcasts and we read their books. We lift them up as an example of a perfect person. We focus our attention on them and what they have to say. But the problem with that model is that no one can live up to the scrutiny of the spotlight. No one is perfect, and sooner or later they will stumble and fall. There was once a predominant pastor in the, in, in the Pacific Northwest um, who, within a matter of, of maybe 10 or so years, uh, planted a church and it grew into a network of, of a dozen or so churches with, with at one point over 12,000 uh, people in regular weekend attendance across their different, their different campuses. And this person was, became very popular and everything was kind of built and centered around him and, and his preaching style and his leadership style. Well, things seemed to be going really well until all of a sudden people began to question some of his decisions some of the ways that he was leading this church. And unfortunately, you know, his, his confrontational personality, uh, you know, really caused some problems in that ministry, and eventually he was asked to step down. And wouldn't you know, within a year, that entire network of churches, all 12,000 people that were attending, were gone. Some of those churches ended up, like, replanting themselves in other forms. I'm sure many of those people found other places to worship but it just goes to show what happens when we build ministries and we build churches around people rather than God. This is what happens when we focus on a person and put the spotlight on them rather than on God himself. And so that's why it's important for us to avoid building our church, our ministry, or even our own lives around a person. If this church is all about the pastor, I'm sorry to say, I'm going to disappoint you eventually. I'm not perfect. And I'll warn you, this may sting a little bit. Neither are you. Right? Your spouse isn't perfect. Your kids aren't perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. Your boss isn't perfect. Your employees aren't perfect. Your neighbor isn't perfect. Have I made my point yet? Right? (laughs) Nobody is perfect. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. And if our entire worth is wrapped up in one person yourself or someone else, you're going to be disappointed in the end. But the one thing, the only thing that you can build your life on with certainty is Jesus Christ. He will never 
fail you. He will never abandon you. He is the one sure foundation that we can build on. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundations, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, if we build our lives on anything other than Christ, if we try to hog the spotlight for ourselves, it'll all come crashing down. But if we have a solid foundation, if we build our lives on Christ, that will last. That's the one thing in this life that will never fail us. And so to combat this sort of pride, we must follow Paul and Barnabas' example here in this passage. We must refuse the praise and worship of others and point them to Christ instead. It's exactly what John the Baptist does throughout his ministry. People ask him over and over again, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And over and over again, John denied these claims and said, look, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the voice declaring in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. He said, I'm just the messenger. Jesus, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's entire ministry was about, about directing people's attention off of himself and toward Christ, toward the, the Messiah of this world. And in John chapter 3, verse 30, I think he sums it up very well for us. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have uh, when, when, when we go through this life in order to combat that sinful pride. It's important as well to notice how Paul describes God in this passage. He points them to the living God, the creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens and earth and everything in it. He points to God's provision as evidence of his love toward us. In a time when people depended on the land and famine was only one bad harvest away, the weather was very important. The rain and the sun was very important because it's those things that provided a good crop and a good harvest, which then provided sustenance for another year. And so Paul points out that, that it's not Zeus, it's not Hermes, it's none of those other worthless gods that provides those things. It's God, it's the God of Israel. It's the God of the Bible. It's the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who provides for those things and fills our hearts with joy. It's what we call common grace, right? The idea that, that God blesses all of creation, believers and unbelievers, the good and the evil with certain things to sustain life. The very air we breathe is common grace. The fact that we all woke up this morning is common grace. The fact that we have food in our fridges at home is common grace. There's things that God blesses us with, whether or not we trust Him, whether or not we even know Him. And it's that reality that Paul points to in this situation. James chapter 1, verse 17 puts it another way. There James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Notice the contrast here between Zeus and Hermes and the God of Israel. Remember, according to legend, Zeus and Hermes destroyed all of those homes that were that had rejected them. How petty is that? They destroyed them out of spite. See, those gods were fickle. They often changed their minds, and so the people were never really sure if they were in the gods' favor or not. They were never really sure if the gods were angry or if the gods were happy or if the gods were indifferent. There was really no way to know. But our God is not like that. Contrast that with the God of Paul and Barnabas, of our God. He is good and he is caring. He makes himself known, not through destruction, but by providing for his creation. As the passage of James rightly points out, all good and perfect gifts come from him. And he does not change. He is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since we know he has been good and faithful in the past, we know that he will continue to be good and faithful towards us in the future. That's something that we can rely on. And so when Paul and Barnabas were confronted with the praise and the worship of these people, they stepped out of the spotlight and pointed people to God instead. That's what humility looks like. The question is, what does this look like for us? I don't know you, but I've never been mistaken for a Greek god, right? I've never had people come up to me and want to offer sacrifices in my name. But it does come to us in very subtle ways. It comes at us in very sneaky ways sometimes. And when those moments come, we must be willing to shine the light on God rather than ourselves. And notice too, Paul and Barnabas don't focus on themselves uh, in a negative way either. Sometimes we think humility is about putting ourselves down. The whole I'm not worthy routine. But that's not what real humility is either. When we, when we put ourselves down, when we, when we knock ourselves down a peg or two, the attention and the focus is still on us, isn't it? One of the things that drives me crazy on social media is, is the humble brag. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. But it's when people post things, when they share stuff on Facebook that seems to be humble, right? That seems to 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 point to some sort of humble aspect of their character. But in reality, it's just as much attention grabbing as anything else. Right? They put it out there for the world to see because they want people to see just how humble they are. Right? Think of those words of Muhammad Ali, right? I am I am so modest, I am the greatest. My only fault is that I don't realize how great I really am, right? That's a humble brag right there. But when we do that we're just still just seeking attention for ourselves. The spotlight is still on us. See, true humility doesn't mean that we think less of ourselves. It means we think of ourselves less. We step out of the spotlight and we point people to Jesus and you put God and others first. See, there's nothing wrong with humbly accepting people's thanks and gratitude. The problem is when we let it go to our head. You know, for the longest time as a pastor, I kind of struggled with this. You know, what do we do? What do I do when people thank me for a sermon? Not saying that happens all the time, but I'm saying, you know, what happens when when people come up and 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 say, "What a great sermon! Thank you for sharing that." And I, I honestly kind of struggled with that for a while. How do I respond in those kind of situations? 
And I realized the question I had to ask myself was, do I use my gifts to point people to myself or to shine the spotlight on Christ? If what I do honors God and is pleasing to Him, then it's okay to humbly receive thanks and gratitude for that. Because the attention, hopefully, isn't on me anyways. And so think about your own situation. How can you shine the spotlight on God instead of yourself? How can you point people to Christ through your job, through your family, through your home life? And when those moments of gratitude do come, how can you humbly accept that while still shining the spotlight on God? The third thing we notice here is the need for authentic Christian community. Once again, we see the ugly and unfortunately all too common side of Paul's ministry. Although they managed to convince the crowd to halt the sacrifices, Paul Paul finds himself at the wrong end of an angry mob. People from Antioch and Iconium, two cities that Paul and company had already preached in, arrived and convinced the crowd to turn against them. They stone Paul and they drag his body outside of the city, leaving him there for dead. But then something amazing happens. As Paul lies outside of the city, seemingly lifeless, It says the disciples surrounded him and brought him back into the city and cared for him. Just as Paul looked directly at the lame man and sympathized with his need, there were others who saw the need in Paul and were able to surround him and provide for him. See, this is a reminder that we can't make it on our own. Pride teaches us that we don't need anybody else, that we are invincible and self-sufficient. But we can't make it on our own. No matter how hard we try, we need the support, the encouragement, and even the accountability that only other people can provide. It takes humility for us to realize this. Paul was desperate, right? He was obviously in a helpless situation and needed to rely on his fellow disciples to recover. We may not be in such a desperate situation ourselves, but we still need the support that brothers and sisters in Christ can provide. So instead of acknowledging our need for authentic Christian community, we often put on a mask and pretend that everything's okay. I often enjoy our meet and greet time that we have every Sunday morning. Didn't quite happen today because I was helping Josephine, but I usually try to get around and shake as many hands as possible. A lot of, hey, how you doings? And the answer is almost always the same. Good. Or maybe the Christian's favorite F word, right? I'm fine. I'm fine. And that's great. And maybe that's the case, but I think more often than not, we're not always good. We're not always fine. But we say it to, and we put on a smile and we say it just because we want to put on this image and this mask that everything's okay. But humility forces us to take off the mask and realize we aren't always fine. Sometimes we aren't okay. And you know what? That's okay. Because when you're not okay, it gives your brothers and sisters in Christ an opportunity to meet your need. And we can't experience the healing that Christian community brings until we acknowledge our own need for it. Once we do that, we will begin to see God at work in and through his church. I want to close by reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. Here Paul gives us a glimpse into what authentic Christian community looks like. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's a lot to live up to, isn't it? And this kind of community is only possible when people are willing to humble themselves and admit they don't have it all together. When we are willing to step out of the spotlight and be real with one another. As we humble ourselves, as we, as we do that, we're able to really see the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. In the sort of Christian community, it doesn't just happen during a two-minute meet-and-greet time either. Honestly, it's pretty difficult for it to happen during Sunday morning services in general. That's why it's so important for us as Christians to find community outside of the one hour we have on Sunday mornings, to connect with other brothers and sisters in Christ, find a Bible study, be a part of a Sunday school class, get together with other believers and pray. Whatever it looks like, just do something. Do something to develop authentic community with other believers. And as you do this, you'll begin to step out of the spotlight. And the attention will shift off of you and onto the Lord, the one who truly deserves it and is able to meet our needs. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you've given us the opportunity to step out of the spotlight. I pray each one of us here today would be able to do that, to redirect praise to you and only you, Lord, because you alone deserve it. Help us to be humble and help us to think always of you and others first. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing sing number 366, I Surrender All.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.